Hi, my name is Mike Pappas, and you're listening to the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. All right. Well, uh, welcome back, everyone, to uh, another episode of the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. Um, I'm your host, Ben Mattis. Um, and my guest uh, today is Mike uh, Papas. He's the CEO of Modulate.ai. Uh, and they're one uh, of a few developers right now who are tackling toxicity in online communities using technology, in particular AI. So if you're on Reddit or if you're on Discord or if you're playing a video game and someone says something hurtful or hateful or harmful, um, the old fashioned way would be you would have moderators who would try and do their best to detect that and, uh, you know, appropriately uh, punish you, I guess, if, if, if you did that. But obviously, as these communities scale up, the work on the moderators is becoming harder and harder. And of course, it's a living language and there are many languages and these communities are complicated and fragmented and not all of them can have moderators and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a really tough problem to solve with manpower. Um, when we bring AI into it, there's some really interesting ways that humans and AI can kind of work in concert in order to um, sort of uh, discourage bad behavior, maybe even encourage good behavior and hopefully help create just more robust, enjoyable, inclusive online communities, regardless of your interests, whether it's video games or, you know, talking about Pokemon cards. So I hope you really dig this interview. Uh, Mike's a great guy. He's super sharp. The space of anti-toxicity is a really important one, in my opinion, for the future of really like the world. Um, but of course, it's got short-term immediate benefits to video games and entertainment, which is why I find it so interesting. I hope you enjoy. All right. Well, Mike, great to see you again. Um, I've been looking forward to this conversation for uh, a few weeks now. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, but let's yeah. start off with introductions. Uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself um, and I guess sort of how how you got into the world of AI and, and ML and then how that led to your current sort of area of, of focus. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks again for having me here, Ben. Really excited to be having this chat. So I'm Mike Pappas. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a Boston-based company called Modulate. Um, Modulate is basically working to build tools to make online interactions safer and more inclusive for everyone. And I know we'll be talking more about that specific mission statement in a minute here. Uh, but we kind of trace our roots back to my undergraduate years, which is when I met my co-founder, Carter. Um, we were actually both studying physics at MIT. And we met because I was walking down the hall and saw an interesting physics problem on the whiteboard. And I stopped to help Carter solve it. And we immediately became friends and are pretty much exactly as nerdy as that sounds. Um, that so is like, even, that's, that's so MIT, right? Like. It, it really, you know, it is. But um, we, we, we did really become fast friends from that. When we actually started Modulate, we uh, dug through our old textbooks to find that problem to sort of put it on a, a whiteboard in the background on the first video we ever made using some of our, our technology. Um, it's, it's been a big part of our history. And we really quickly did become very close friends at MIT. We had a lot of long conversations about 
kind of the promise of the internet and online spaces and found we were really passionate about it. And so by the time that we were, uh, you know, graduating from MIT, we had already basically said, we really think that we could build a company successfully together. We really want to work together. We just need to figure out what on earth we'd be doing. That's right. Um, and we knew it would sort of be in that space of sort of online platforms and, and AI capabilities, of course, were interesting to us. They're, they were and are interesting to almost everyone, I think, in some capacity. Um, and where we first sort of got into Modulate, I mean, starts talking from a technical perspective, but really briefly, um, Carter worked at NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab as a machine learning scientist, and he was working on machine vision problems, um, actually building technology that would fly on spacecraft. Um, and in, in a small way, I think he had the opportunity to contribute to some of the technology on the, on the rover that recently landed on Mars a few weeks ago, which was very exciting for us. Um, and as he was working in sort of visual AI there, he and I were having our regular conversations and he started bringing up the idea of maybe you could translate some of these techniques into the audio domain. Mm -hmm. um, and so that really was the foundation of Modulate for us, just purely this technical question of could we be doing some interesting new work here that other people haven't yet, where we could actually be making a difference and creating a new kind of social interaction. Um, and so that was uh, a couple of years of research. I like to say we did that research. Um, mostly it was Carter with me cheering him on. Um, and, you know, uh, I think Carter actually submitted the first line of code for the work that would become Modulate uh, Christmas Day of December 2015. Um, okay. So really was a, a couple of years of research from there until sort of 2018 that we started to actually find that our technology was working really reliably. And at that point, we left our jobs to really devote full time to Modulate and really started spending a year um, going out and talking to all kinds of different industries um, to understand how best should we bring this technology to the world to have sort of the most positive impact. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more to tell in that story, but starts to get into some of the specifics of what we're building that I know you want to kind of yeah, dive into can, one by we'll one. We'll dive ben. into those. Uh, I, I'm happy to stay at the sort of high level as, as we open, but... I mean, it's funny. Well, so you talk a lot about online platforms and and how you guys were passionate about that. Um, I wonder, like, do you personally spend a lot of time online? Uh, do you play a lot of games or hang out on a lot of forums? Because I guess what I'm wondering is, like, did either you or Carter have personal experiences online where you thought, man, I wish there was some technology to help solve this problem. Yeah, we, we definitely did, but I think from very different angles. Um, so my parents, uh, they, they've come around, I think, as we've, as we've all grown older, but growing up, they were, they were pretty sort of wary of the dangers of video games. Sure. Um, and so I, I was not generally permitted to go online and interact with strangers in any way. Um, Video games were still a huge part of sort of my childhood growing up. It was a big part of how I built bonds with a lot of my friends. Um, you know, we would come over and we would set up Super Smash Bros or something like that and just sort of hang out for hours playing together. Um, so it was still a big part of sort of my social bonds. But um, I didn't really have the opportunity to get connected with all of these other people. And it wasn't until I was sort of much older, um, you know, high school and college, that I started to encounter other folks who had grown up in different contexts or who had learned kind of different lessons, um, where they started out in games, sort of getting to meet all of these different sorts of people. 
And that had, I think, um, sort of shaped their understanding of new forms of content like Reddit or, or right. sort of other new platforms. And that had shaped their ability to engage with those things, where I think it actually took me a little bit longer to feel comfortable oh, participating in some of these online spaces because I didn't have um, some of that initial experience. And of course, mm-hmm. there's, there's a trade-off there. You know, I think my parents did a good job protecting me from risk, but also I was a little bit less exposed to that sort of new burgeoning space. And so became <laughs> that, that much more excited <laughs> when I discovered it. Um, I think Carter kind of had the, the flip side experience where his, yeah. his parents were obviously still very protective of him, but he had, um, he had a bit more of an opportunity with his brother. I know he's talked to me in the past about playing a few um, games uh, that, that did allow him to sort of engage with other people online. Um, his parents definitely drew the line at voice chat, though. And he, as he describes it, you know, even if they didn't, um, he would have. Yes. Because the stories that he heard from his friends and from other people around him, there was never any chance that he, as an eight-year-old kid, could jump into a team shooter and be, be treated seriously by other no. people or even be treated, you know, nicely by other people. And so I think him kind of having that direct experience of, man, it would have been nice if I could have jumped into these things more. And me, you know, having that same wish, but from a little bit of a different angle. Um, I think that was a big part of our drive where in college we came together and saw all of these new platforms that were growing um, and said, you know, wow, I, I think it, there's going to be so much new innovation coming from these spaces. And it's so important to A, just get as many people into these spaces because yes. that's how we're all going to learn about it. And then B, uh, equally importantly, make sure that it's not just a large number of people, but a, a sort of equal distribution of people, that the people who are learning about this and defining the future are actually representative of all these different demographics. And it's not only the kinds of people who can feel safe on these platforms, which is unfortunately yeah. a very narrow group in, in many of these circumstances. Yeah, and, and historically, what a lot of these platforms were born out of, right? I mean, you know... There's a fair amount of channels on 4chan or Reddit or whatever that were probably founded by cis white males are are dominated by cis white males and basically completely abhorrent to anyone who doesn't fit into those categories. And and I agree that that's that means it's really narrow and it, it's it's going to kind of stay that way. And that that's a huge problem. Absolutely. So so. I want to talk about online communities in a lot more detail and kind of wrap our heads around um, the state of online communities today. And then we'll get into uh, modulate and, and in particular kind of how it's trying to solve those problems or, or, or various ways mm-hmm. that it's trying to participate in solving those problems. So, but if we look at the state of online communities today, and it can be anything from, again, Reddit to Discord Twitch streaming, YouTube comments. Uh, we could talk about, uh, you know, whatever message boards. We could, you know, wh- whatever whatever definitions you want to use in terms of an online community is 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 game. Mm-hmm. But why do you think it's so important um, to maintain these safe online communities? Like, other than a little bit annoying, right, or perhaps mm-hmm. a lot annoying. What exactly happens when you have toxicity in an online community? Like, can you break that down and and kind of help expose the risks to the online community a little bit deeper? 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's different kinds of threats or or sort of dangers incurred by by not sort of managing your community in an effective way. Um, the most severe are actual physical dangers that can yes. be created by a mismanaged online community, um, and that can range from you know people deciding to to SWAT someone and right, right. see if you know they're going to accidentally get shot or something like that. Um, through all kinds of different risks of stalking and harassment and different mistreatment in that way, up to, you know, potential sort of grooming of children or grooming of uh, slightly older folks into into terror cells or something like that. Um, and what I think is particularly um, important to think about with respect to something like a grooming scenario is so many of these platforms rely on reporting mechanisms, and that works well, okay, not great, but it works okay for certain offenses like sexual harassment or hate speech, where the victim at the very least knows that that's, that's what's right. happening to them. But in the case of a, of a potential grooming scenario, whether again, that's sort of grooming a child um, or grooming maybe a, a teenager or a young adult into sort of a more sort of radicalized community, um, the victim often doesn't actually realize what's happening and they've often been placed into this warped scenario where the aggressor is actually shaping things to make it look like they're in fact their only friend. Right. And so you're not going to get that victim reporting on their own, hey, this is happening. So if we want to minimize the amount of actual danger that these people are in, um, and I think there are very few people in the world who would disagree with the claim that we want to protect children from sexual predators. Right. But if we want to do that, um, we need something that goes beyond simply saying people can complain if something bad is happening to them. We need to actually be able to set firm standards and hold our communities to it. Um, there's other kinds of sort of maybe in some sense less potent dangers than these kinds of physical ones, but I think still nonetheless very real. Um, and that sort of relates to exclusionary behaviors and just whether someone is able to participate meaningfully in that community. Mm -hmm. Now, where we're working with game studios and social platforms, the first metric that will maybe be brought up in a lot of those conversations is churn and how that relates to revenue, right? If you're just trying to make a great, huge community for everyone, um, then you're going to be really disappointed if you discover that 20% of your users are churning away or never even bothering to play because they're so sure that they're going to get harassed. Um, but taking a little bit more of kind of a far field and industry sort of wide view, it's not just about the individual platforms. It's again, as I sort of alluded to before, I think the internet is where we're defining a lot of the future. And a lot mm -hmm. of these online platforms, I mean, you look at Roblox, right? Um, just IPO'd to great success. Um, they have all of these tools that allow younger kids to actually get really deeply involved with thinking about software engineering, game design, build communities, and some of their top developers are earning millions of dollars. That's an enormous opportunity for individual growth, as well as for sort of equality across a lot of these demographics, and just for setting the stage for all kinds of new types of social interactions. Right. And if a platform like that, and I'm not certainly saying that this is true of Roblox, but if a platform like that were designed in a way that only really enabled white male cis folks to, to uh, feel safe on that platform, then they're going to, A, you know, lose out on all of these great creators that could have been, but they're also disadvantaging a lot of these communities in terms of their ability 
to set a future and be involved in how that future is being created um, to make sure that these larger scale things that are coming down the line actually sort of include and represent them in the right way. So like, like a more optimistic vision for humanity's future is sort of anchored in our ability to create more welcoming, safe havens and online communities today. Um, I want to talk about like what creates toxicity, and 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 I and I recognize that I mean this is, you know, it obviously it, it's not a formula, right? It's not just like if you do this, then you're going to have toxicity. But you know, when I look at a, a community. You know, there's a few variables that that probably jump out, like, you know, number of members might be a contributing factor. Maybe how long the community has been active might be a factor. Maybe the platform, almost certainly the subject matter. Um, do you have any personal thoughts about sort of what variables are more likely to contribute to toxicity and what variables maybe are less impactful into the kind of guarantee or likelihood of toxic behavior arriving? I mean, it's it's a very difficult question and one that, frankly, you know, Mo- Modulate is trying to learn a lot more about that using some of our technology to analyze these spaces. I know there's others that are doing similar research. Mm-hmm. We're pretty early in being able to give any definitive answers to this. Okay. Um, I think the way that I would start thinking about it, though, is kind of breaking it down at at two layers. There's where does toxicity come from in the first place? And then what is it about a particular community that allows that to manifest? Okay. Um, And to answer kind of that first question, it's usually not specifically about the community. It's not this particular game is suddenly transforming someone into a racist um, or suddenly transforming someone into someone who tries to, you know, stalk or sexually harass someone else. Um, those, Those behaviors were already something that were being built into some of these people through a variety of different means. And I do believe strongly that there are extremely few people in this world who are the villain of their own story. Mm-hmm. I think everyone has all kinds of different situations that they've sort of experienced and been dealing with. And sometimes that leads to very warped perceptions about the world. And I, I think it's really important that we as a society say those warped perceptions are wrong. They're not okay. But I think that it's, it's not a juxtaposition to also have sympathy for those people who have been through a lot of these circumstances that have forced them into coping mechanisms or forced them to rely on cognitive biases that are creating these warped perceptions in the world. And so in that sense, I, I think that a lot of these different sort of sources of toxicity manifest from very large-scale world events right. um, that you know the games industry certainly isn't going to solve those events on its own. Um, those are things that we, we as a much larger society really need to be engaging very thoughtfully with and be, be able to talk to people about, hey, you know, you, you are wrong. This belief that you have is wrong, but you are not evil. We mm-hmm. understand how this came to be and we want to help you to get better, to figure out these better ideas, to figure out the right way to engage with the world. You don't deserve to suffer for having sort of been brought into these bad situations so long as you are actually interested in learning and improving yourself. Um, that's, that's kind of a whole other larger political that's sort a, yeah, of Yeah, that's a big one for sure. Though, but, but no, I mean, I think, I, uh, think, I think that's an important point to, um, 
to identify is that there's external factors mm. probably creating toxicity in the individual that you you maybe can't control with a piece of technology. I, I think that's an important point to 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 make. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think from from the other sort of perspective of what do in what does an individual community or platform do that kind of elicits this kind of toxicity? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch of different answers to that from sort of accountability. Um, and a lot of people have talked about anonymity potentially contributing to this bad behavior. I think there's actually some really important benefits to anonymity too. Mm-hmm. Um, giving people a little bit more freedom to explore yeah. for themselves and not feel anchored to who they've yeah. had to act like in the physical world. Um, but it is certainly a double-edged sword and being able to understand that and be thoughtful about it. Um, there's other things about just who do you put into certain communities together? And the reality is, um, if we expect that not everyone is perfectly sort of calculating and rational, um, if we accept that certain people can be set off by different kinds of triggers into, mm-hmm. into different kinds of bad behaviors, then the implication of that is by being very thoughtful about how we do things like matchmaking, by being very thoughtful about how we prime people, how sort of proactively we're reinforcing that culture code, how proactively we're reinforcing that we are actually expecting people to behave well. Um, if we do all those things right, the same person behaves in a very sort of genuine and equitable way. And if we do all those things wrong, if we fail to enforce the fact that we care about good behavior, if we make it clear to them that they're not going to be punished, that same individual person is suddenly going to start behaving in a more toxic fashion because nothing is sort of holding them accountable to behaving differently. And for for better or worse, in many cases, it's just easy to allow yourself to lapse into those sort of biases that have formed in the past. Yeah, and I mean, in the real world, if you if a kid walks into a classroom and starts throwing chairs and slinging around racial slurs, we don't just you know pat them on the head and say you know oh, boys will be boys anymore, uh, assuming it was a boy, right? There, you know, generally speaking, there are consequences. They are reprimanded in increasingly severe ways, and and ultimately they might be completely ostracized as a result of that behavior, right? And 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 of course, it's sort of makes sense that the same thing would exist in an online community or should exist in an online community. But it, so it leads to this next question that I wanted to talk about um, when we look at sort of anonymity, I guess, a a little bit more. You mentioned anonymity, obviously, it's something that a lot of people bring up as possibly an enabler of toxicity or possibly an enable of more variety. Do you personally see any correlation between the level of visibility um, and and harassment. So obviously, the least visibility is like pure text. That's kind of like mm-hmm. the most anonymity. Probably next level up would be like voice chat, like a Discord or something like that. And then I guess sort of maximum visibility would be like this, where you can see me, you can hear me, you see the context of where I live. It's kind of like, you know, maximum. Uh, I don't have to tell you my real name necessarily, but other than that, it's kind of like maximum visibility. Is there any correlation there that you that you 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 see? I mean, yes, but unfortunately, it's not sort of a single dimension that we're talking about here. So, yes, I think we we've seen when you turn on voice from text that unlocks new kinds of sort of toxicity. Right okay. with text, you didn't necessarily have your age or gender revealed, but that's right. often implied by your voice. 
Um, voice allows for new new sort of attack vectors. You can be really loud and prevent people from sort of attending to what's going on. You could send a lot of stuff through text chat, but it's a lot easier to ignore that. So adding those new dimensions definitely can sort of unlock new negative behaviors, but it also activates uh, sort of a deeper emotional connection between the people. And I think yeah. that's most when you're seeing and hearing them, but Absolutely. certainly hearing them compared to just seeing the text um, there have been a lot of studies that show you do build substantially faster, um, meaningful bonds with someone if you're speaking with them through voice compared to over text. You're much more successful at predicting their emotional state, which I suppose for trolls could mean that they're better at being toxic. But for most of us who are trying our best to be good, um, it allows us to navigate those conversations more effectively. Um, and again, I think there's also kind of that explorative element where, um, unfortunately, I'm blanking on the name of the study. I think it was from about four years ago, but there was a study that looked at um, specifically women um, playing online games and found that about 80% of them were saying, hey, I really like participating in these online games using voice because it gives me the ability to explore sort of new versions of my identity or new right. behavior patterns where I'm not bound to sort of specific social niceties that I feel myself anchored to in the physical world. And what really struck me is that was 80% of the people, but 80% also, maybe not exactly the same 80%, but 80% of that same population also reported dealing with really substantial toxicity through voice chat. So it wasn't that there wasn't this problem it's just that the the problem comes with sort of complements along a, a different dimension that also right. make it better in different complicated ways. Like, so, like anything interesting, there's challenges <laughs> and opportunities, right? Exactly. So for, for me, and of course, I, I probably have a bit of motivated cognition here, given what I do for a living, but I, I feel like the right approach forward is to say, look, some of these things are fundamentally impossible without voice. You just, you can't get the same level of emotional connection without it. You can't get the same kind of easy engagement that we can have while having our hands off the keyboard or sort of quick communication if we're trying to coordinate in a game. It, it's just necessary in a lot of these places. So I choose to sort of say there's enough value to get from voice that it's worth putting in that effort to compensate for the additional risks it introduces. Um, there are a lot of places that are still out there um, that have basically said, hey, we, we're not sure that it is worth that risk, and so we've just chosen to completely cut out voice chat entirely from the platform. But I think there's two reasons that most companies are moving away from that position. One is just that there's more and more research coming out showing the importance of voice uh, not just for having a good time individually, but for building kind of a sticky bond and making yeah. the players want to come back. Yeah, and the other that. is the simple reality that people are going to use voice chat anyway. So if the option is they do it on your platform where you can at least manage the experience, you can make sure that if something bad happens, you know about it and have the chance to intervene. Or if the only alternative is knowing that they're going to fall back to some third-party app where you have no insight, you can't protect anyone from some of the worst behaviors, then you suddenly realize that really the only good option is to, is to take ownership over that. So, I mean, let's, let's take it for granted that voice is good. Let's take it for granted that AI has a role to help m make voice a safe mm -hmm. 
protocol for, for communication and community building in online gamings and online platforms. Can you give a little bit of an overview at a high level of kind of how maybe today the stack kind of works? Like if I say like, yes, AI this, make AI <laughs> make voice gooder, kind of like how does that work? Because there's me and the microphone and then my computer and then the internet and then servers and then somewhere there's your computer and then your headphone and kind of where does AI sit on that in order to make sure that if I say bad things you don't hear it or if I say bad things I get in trouble and I'm held accountable for it yeah like kind of where does it sit on that yeah absolutely so um this is this is a still kind of a burgeoning space, and I, I'm pleased to be able to say I think Modulate is very much on the forefront here with one of our products, ToxMod, that is specifically sort of designed to do this voice-native AI moderation. Um, and the way that we've thought about developing ToxMod, um, and I promise this gets into your specific question, Ben, <laughs> no, totally. is really breaking down between these two ideas of AI reporting and AI moderation. Um, and the difference here is AI reporting is about, can we help the actual human moderation team for each of these platforms figure out what they need to pay attention to in the first place? If you think about a major platform, there might be 100 million hours of audio or even a billion hours of audio going through that system each month. And you cannot multi-thread listening to audio. You can't speed it up very much. You would need tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of moderators working nonstop to sift through all of that audio even a single time. And so that's obviously intractable. The next place people go is, well, maybe I can transcribe that audio. But if you look at commodity transcription tools out there, most of them are charging you over a dollar per hour of audio. So now you're talking about paying $100 million per month to transcribe all that audio, and you haven't even started to analyze the text yet. That's not going to be tractable either. Um, so what we first sort of started out with is how can we just figure out what the small percentage of conversations are that actually do really warrant that closer look? And for building our answer to that, we're primarily focused on AI systems that sit directly on your device, uh, both in terms of trying to reduce our sort of cloud compute costs, but also to protect user privacy. Right, mm -hmm. I don't want to be sending your conversations out to a cloud. And if I have to, I should say, you know, Modulate's doing um, quite a bit of work to make sure that that's treated very safely and securely. But I don't want to have to send those conversations out to the cloud unless there's a really good reason to believe that something is actually happening that people need to be paying attention to there. And so when we built ToxMod, we start with this first on-device triage layer. So you speak into your microphone. And that gets picked up by the game client, and our SDK is built into that game client. And so the client, before it sends the audio out to whoever you're talking to, it runs it through our SDK. And our SDK is able to look at a variety of different models. We do a little bit in terms of sort of keywords. Maybe we can tell if you're saying the N-word or something like that. But we're also looking at things like, what's the emotion of this speech that you're giving right now? What are some of the speech behaviors? Are you being mm -hmm. suddenly very interruptive or very mm -hmm. loud? Um, what's kind of the prosody of the speech? What's yeah. the other sort of game elements that we can take information about? As well as sort of listening to that audio. And this is something we accumulate over time. But trying to understand based on the timbre of your voice, based on the behavior of your speech, and make slow and steady predictions over time about things like age and gender as well. 
And this allows us to say, you know, hey, maybe we don't know exactly what's happening in this conversation, but someone just got very loud. They sound angry. Two other speakers are sounding upset and got much quieter. Maybe that's worth a closer look. Or to maybe be a little bit more sort of drastic about it, maybe there's a 40-something-year-old masculine voice talking one-on-one to a preteen feminine voice. And we look at the history and see that same older man is in three other one-on-one conversations with similarly young preteen girls. That's not necessarily enough to say, okay, this is definitely a place we need to call the cops, but it's certainly enough to start implementing nudges and trying to see Can we maybe just direct these younger players more towards people from their own age, whether or Mm -hmm. not this is actually a bad actor? And so Mm -hmm. it's that kind of initial detection where we're not 100% sure what exactly is going on, but it's enough for us to say, this is one of those needles from within the haystack that's worth a closer look. And so from there, we can send it up. We can do a little bit more sort of unpacking to make it really easy to consume. And then we'll present it to the actual moderation team so that it's still a human in the loop making the final decision about did someone actually do something wrong. And that way we're not sort of asking the AI to understand all the nuance of human social interactions because we know that there's so many different corner cases, it's just not going to cover that. We're still able to sort of use humans to do that piece, but we're empowering a much smaller team of people to actually monitor this huge community. Yeah. And I mean, like, we could literally talk for an entire podcast episode and then some just about privacy. So cognizant of the fact that we still have, like, 10 meaty (laughs) questions to get into, can you, you know, executive summary, can you TLDR why my mom or my dad or Mm -hmm. whoever, you know, someone who's, like, maybe a little bit kind of techno-wary should not be scared of AI listening to their voice, right? Why is that okay that suddenly everything I say in this online game is being listened to? And why is that not going to lead to someone stealing my identity or whatever they imagine bad thing is going to happen by their privacy being, you know, whatever um, they intruded upon? Yeah, I mean, certainly in terms of why it won't lead to something like someone stealing their identity, the simple answer is that the immediate consequence of AI analyzing your audio is it reduces it down to these different features and predictions of what is the emotion sort of probability distribution? What is our understanding of the transcription? We're not, however, sort of saying, hey, let's just keep looking at this whole sort of audio sample and using it to train arbitrary new models. Um, so there's, there's certainly kind of a hard guarantee that um, all we're analyzing is the stuff that would be relevant to toxicity. Beyond that, you know, I, maybe this is kind of the, the wrong approach, given that I'm somewhat wearing a salesman hat here. But um, I, I don't think they should inherently trust us to be doing the right thing. I think that the burden of proof is absolutely on us. And we've tried to go out there and talk very clearly about here's why we need to collect this data. Here's what it looks like. Um, I think there's also some balances against if you're participating in an online space at all, a human might report you Mm -hmm. and your audio could be sent up for other people to take a look at, right? Um, And there's various reasons why people have reported others for not actually toxic behavior, whether to try to get an edge in a tournament by getting someone banned or just as a troll, or the misclick, or whatever it is. 
So there's always a little bit of a risk whenever you participate in these situations or on these sort of online platforms that your audio, for some reason, is going to get sent up to to these platforms. Yeah. And so people, when you when you think about it, we already have some baseline level of trust yeah. where we're saying if there's this low of a risk that it gets sent up to you know the Xbox cloud, the PlayStation cloud, the Epic cloud, whatever it is, if there's that low of a risk, we're willing to accept that then that's a much more tractable conversation for us to have because we're never going to be able to tell you there's no possible way the AI could misunderstand what you're saying. Of course. Um, There will always be a little bit of a risk there. But I think what we can absolutely say is there's no more reason to worry about this than any other human reporting you. And in fact, as we get better and better at refining these techniques it becomes easier for us to actually explain very coherently, here's exactly why your audio got picked up in a way that actual people could only dream of. Yeah, you know, exactly. we're, we're not ourselves nearly as good at explaining our decision-making processes, right? So if you can, okay, so we've talked about moderation. We've talked about maybe even eventual, you know, some sort of evolving redaction kind of, you know, potential. Uh, and, and at the core of all of that, you've talked about effectively sentiment analysis, which is you know definitely something that AI and voice has been looking at for some years now. And so what do you guys, what does the industry think about when it comes to sentiment analysis for um, gameplay purposes, right? Like if I'm playing an online game or I'm playing against an NPC and I'm starting to get, you know, really pissed at this boss battle that I've, you know, died on kind of 15 times and I'm, I'm in a raid and I'm yelling at my friends, God darn it, this ratsamer, ratsamer, you know, I mean, clearly I'm getting pissed. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, are the games going to start rubber banding me, dynamic difficulty, kind of modifying the game engine or the, you know, whatever reward level or that kind of thing as a, as a retention mechanic based off of my emotions? Are there, are there conversations like that that are happening? I have seen some other startups that are working on technology kind of in that vein. Um, I think as far as kind of the the immediate moderation side, though, we actually have a really important advantage in a, in a sort of gaming context like this, which is that you're chatting with a group. And so we're not just looking at your reactions, we're looking at the reactions of those around you. And what we're trying to understand is, are you doing something that is causing pain or disruption or toxicity? towards those other people that are part of this current session. Mm-hmm. And so if, you know, you're you're in a chat room with a bunch of your friends and you're playing through maybe a one player game and chatting with them and you run across a, a difficult moment where you start sort of swearing vehemently because oh man, I died again and your friends are all laughing hysterically and clearly right. having a good time. Yeah. Um then it's very easy for us to say okay, you know, this is this is in some sense sort of not actually you subjecting anyone else to toxicity and there's there's a few corner corner cases that are still extremely important here like self harm right mm-hmm. um self harm you might actually yourself be both the speaker and the one you are sort of perpetrating toxicity onto mm-hmm. and so there are some cases where we do need to look at that in a narrower context but i think where when we're sort of looking at this at a toxicity angle the ability to rely on the cues from everyone else in the conversation helps us make sure that we have a much more consistent understanding of what's actually going on okay cool so we've talked a lot about um anti toxicity um 
talked a little bit about kind of how uh, voice and sentiment and that kind of thing could maybe even be used like to kind of help modify single player games and that kind of thing. Although obviously <laughs> your interest in, is really much more on the online and the communal side of things. Um, but you also have this other product, which is really kind of neat, this voice skins. And even before I met you, um, I, you know, I heard people talking about voice skins and asking about it and like, is it possible and how would that work? And it, when is this going to happen? And then I discovered you guys and you did your thing and I was like, ah, oh, that's pretty cool. So I was wondering if you could just, can you share with people kind of what voice skins is and, and how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, voice skins, which we sort of offer under this product header voiceware, um, the, the idea of voice skins are to go beyond sort of classical voice filters and actually allow you to not just transform your voice, but to sound authentically like a different person. Um, so when you try on voice skins, you're effectively swapping out your vocal cords. So that you're still able to sort of speak emotively and with the same nuance that you were using before, but you're able to do it in a totally different voice. So um, I, I see you clapping, Ben, and I'm, I'm glad this is coming through. You know, uh, this is me using one of our, our simple sort of female voice skins, which um, what I think is really cool about this technology is when I'll use this um, to, you know, jump in into a game or pick up a phone call, people don't hear it and say, oh, what, what is this weird technology you're using? People hear it and assume this is my voice until I tell them otherwise. And uh, just to give a little bit more of kind of a quick demo here. I can swap to sound, you know, like a, like a different man compared to my ordinary voice, or maybe do something a little bit more exotic and add sort of a dark and sinister growl, like something out of uh, Batman from the Dark Knight or something like that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of a quick medley of the technology, but um, lots of lots of really cool applications here. Yeah. Uh, but then I'll I'll give you a chance to kind of chime in after kind of running running through that. I mean, so well, uh, my mind is is exploding. Uh, next week, I'm interviewing uh, Ted Price. He's the CEO of Insomniac. He does a fantastic podcast called The Game Maker's Notebook. He interviewed a few months ago an old friend of mine, Clint Hawking, who's the creative director on the most recent Watch Dogs. And in Watch Dogs, it's big open world, millions of it, you know, whatever, thousands of NPCs, and you want it to feel alive and rich and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And they were talking very explicitly about this challenge of like, well, you kind of, that's a lot of dialogue to write and record across a lot of different voice actors, a lot of duplication. So they were talking about kind of exactly this idea and, and, and get where they got into. And they were kind of talking about the uncanny valley and how, you know, we've got some, some work still to do to get there, but they really got into this idea of sentiment and, and you just played with that. And I thought that was really interesting, but like, how do we go from young man? I mean, what are some of the technical challenges to going from young yeah. man to angry young man? Right. So, so that you say, you know, whatever you just said, like, hi, this is, you know, my name is Mike and this is my voice. And it's not just the young woman equivalent of that, but it somehow has almost a different uh, yeah, sentiment to it. And, and, and that we're, we're, we're then allowing writers to basically record once and use a thousand different ways by playing with emotional and uh, gender and various other sliders. Like, is that, Five years away? Is that 10 years away? Like, how, how hard is that? 
Yeah, I mean, the the key sort of way to think about this problem is it all comes down to what what is your input that you're able to condition off of. Okay. So the least contentful input you could give a system like this is text, right? Text is just, here are the words I want you to say. Maybe punctuation implies a little bit about emotionality, but you're basically asking the, the system not just to say, you should say these words in this vocal cord or in this set of vocal cords, but you're also asking it to figure out where do the pauses go? How do I enunciate these words? What's my accent? All of those different things. So when you build a text-to-speech model, first off, you need tons and tons of data because that model, um, if you're building a model of, I'm just going to say Morgan Freeman, you don't just need that text-to-speech model to understand, you know, what is the sound of his vocal cords saying these couple of things. You need it to understand where does he insert pauses? How does he perform these different kinds of text? And it needs to basically make a prediction from the model level. But the flip side is once you've made that prediction by training that big model, you have no flexibility. You just have your model and you're kind of beholden to whatever your model thinks is the right way to read that text. And there's some simple things that you can do there. You can add a little bit of randomness, run it a few times and pick the one that sounds best. But you're not really able to tell it, hey, please read this phrase that would normally sound angry, but read it in a sort of silly voice or something right. like that. You have no ability to communicate with the model that that's what you're looking for. And, and like, you know, we, there, there's all sorts of talk these days about deep fakes, right? And, and we, there was that great Tom Cruise one a couple of weeks ago. You know, that was a performer mm-hmm. who had a lot of, Tom Cruise chops already, so it wasn't such a far leap. <clears throat> but mm-hmm. you know, if 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 I gave you permission, and obviously permissibility is like a whole kettle of fish, but let's just say I give you permission to record my voice, mm-hmm. how much data and how much time would you need to make a voice skin of me, say today? And, you know, and like in five years, like, is it, is it going to go in five years or, you know, are we going to have a phone call and on that phone call, you've recorded my voice and you click a button and then an hour later, you're, 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 you know, whatever, you've got my voice skin. Like, are we ever going to get to that kind of immediacy? So, so I mean, first off, from, from the modulate specific level, there's a lot of stuff that we do to make sure that people can't use it for that kind of impersonation or fraud. Um, we're controlling which specific voices are made. As you say, we require consent. We're adding sort of uh, inaudible watermarks to all of the audio we generate so that we can detect it after the fact and prove that it's not necessarily the original speaker. Um, so we do have a lot of those protections in place. But to get to kind of the technical heart of, of the question that you're asking, Um, These things can absolutely go down. So Mm -hmm. today we require about an hour of audio from you in order to create a voice skin. Um, We want that to be, you know, high quality studio recordings, emotive content, all of that. Uh, But it doesn't have to be a specific script. Um, Now, the reason that we need that hour is that we need to help our system basically target um, the sort of technical phrase might be target your voice in the voice vector space. Um, It needs to figure out what you sound like compared to all the other possible ways one could sound. Now, as we add more and more voices to our data set, though, we get more and more precision from those existing voices where we can actually say, maybe we never had Ben's voice in our data set before. 
but maybe we have this fellow by the name of Mark who sounds pretty close to Ben. Right. And so if we start with 90% Mark, add 5% Barack Obama, add 5% these other people, then eventually we actually construct something that's almost identical to your original voice. I, I like and the fact that it, there's a little Barack Obama in, in, in my voice pattern. That's basically what you're saying, right? Yeah, I like that. That's I, I good. threw that in for you. Yeah, I'll yeah, take that I, one. That's good. Thanks. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, as, as you mix those things together, you're able to get arbitrarily close to your actual voice. And for that part of the process, we would need only enough of your audio to check the end result. So that might be as little as sort of 10 seconds of audio to confirm, yeah, did we actually match it? Um, that will require us to add a lot more voices to our data set, though. And again, we want to still be very careful about whose yeah. hands do we put this tool into. Yeah. Um, the other piece is that doing this in real time requires a lot of very concerted and specialized training of these machine learning models. So even if I were to design that new Ben voice through that combination, then today it would still probably take us a couple of weeks before we had the final real-time usable Ben voice. Okay, There's a lot of cool work being done in things like transfer learning um, that could enable us to reduce those times down substantially. I'm not sure if we're ever going to get them to literally happening live on the fly. Right. Uh, but maybe something more on the order of, you know, you press a button and an hour or a couple hours later, you get an email saying, hey, your voice is ready. Download it now to try it out or something like that. That's cool. And I mean, so like, what are the implications of this for Hollywood? Like we talk all the time about games, obviously. And of course, for me, man, Give me a button that where I can sound like Yoda or Darth Vader or my sister in the middle of a game. I am all in. Like that would be a ton of fun, and I'm ready, and I don't have privacy concerns, and I'm not losing any money by that. So it's like kind of whatever. But on the flip side, if you know Morgan Freeman's voice can be you know captured and um, you know simulated with AI to a relatively high fidelity. In five years, what does that say about Morgan Freeman, the performer? Like, do you guys think at all about yeah. that and kind of where voice skins fit into the ecosystem of performance? Absolutely. And I mean, that's that's one of many reasons, but it's still one of the reasons why we we start on this very social side, you know, where I'm playing a video game and I want to sound like Morgan Freeman because I think that that will evoke my character in a more effective way. Um how was I ever going to do that before? It's not right. like I'm going to hire Morgan Freeman and have him come to my house and play the video game on my behalf. Cameo, even he's, if could... he's like $1,000 on Cameo, though. So, you know. <laughs> but, but even then, he only gets one of those $1,000 payments yeah. at a time. He's not going to play everyone's <laughs> video games for us all. Um, and so he's, he's kind of bound in that way. And so from the social perspective, so long as we're doing the right things, which we're already sort of doing on watermarking and everything, to make sure people can't use this to impersonate him, we are unlocking a brand new market that he never would have had access to before. Um, as you start talking about Hollywood and production, though, you absolutely do start reaching this point where there is a little bit more direct conflict. And you could imagine someone saying, do I hire Morgan Freeman? Or do I hire sort of this intern voice actor <laughs> to recite the lines and swap in Morgan Freeman's <laughs> vocal cords after the fact? Um, and the, the answer actually, oh though, God. is you probably still hire Morgan Freeman. 
Because if you'll recall, you know, with our voice skins, you still need someone to perform the voice. You need the emotion and the nuance and the character. And top-tier voice actors are extraordinarily good at that kind of performance. And so from my perspective, I see this kind of more as democratization, where Morgan Freeman makes money for two reasons. One is the inordinate amount of skill that he puts into each of his performances— The other is that he happens to be born with a desirable set of vocal cords. Um, I see this as kind of democratization where now anyone can have access to that same set of vocal cords. Anyone can have the opportunity to become that same caliber of voice actor. But the skill is also still a relevant component. Mm -hmm. And it's in fact a required component. If I just gave, no offense, Ben, but if I just gave you or me Morgan Freeman's vocal cords, we're not going to sound that good. We just don't have the the sort of talent and the training to perform something in that same way. And so I I do think... Give me me a chance. (laughs) Hit the button. Where's the button where I can sound like Morgan Freeman? Let Let me try. Give me a chance. (laughs) <laughs> I, I I hope to get that test set up in the near future. All with right, you, as soon as you do, let um, me know. But, I want to see. I want to see what I, what do I sound like if I'm sounding like Morgan Freeman? That would be a dream. I think it's most most people's dreams, right? Is they want to sound like Morgan Freeman. So I I will tell you, Morgan Freeman is definitely probably I I, I think it's the number one voice that we've been asked for. There's a I, few others that come up fairly often. James Earl um, Jones, James Earl Morgan Jones. Freeman. <laughs> yep. Also Kermit. Of course. Don't ask me why, but Ker- Kermit comes up very frequently in those yeah, conversations he's got as a well. Great one. Yep. Um, oh, so that's awesome. Yeah. No. Um. Anyways, go ahead, Ben. I would be fascinated to hear from people listening to this what some of their questions are, and they can either send them to me, they can send them to you, Mike. I'd love to hear what people think when they when they hear this tech and they see this tech and their minds explode and then they go, oh, wait a second, that's a game changer. But, you know, yeah. we, we can't talk forever, so we've got to wrap up. And I, and I, and I just want to, I want to close with sort of a question, an open-ended question handing over to you, right? Um, you guys have been doing this for five years uh, or four years or however long you've been doing it, 2015, yeah, six years. Um, and hopefully you're doing it for many years to come. And so you probably have a pretty good sense of what Modulate, but also other players in this space, uh, you know, the, 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 I just yeah. just talked very recently with, with Kim Pallister and at, from Intel, and, and they have this really mm-hmm. cool thing in collaboration with Spirit called Bleep, you know, so there, there's, there, is lo- there mm-hmm. are multiple people in this space now, and you guys have all overcome a bunch of challenges and, and today to get the tech where it is, and that's great. And you probably have, you know, some sense of what the next five years are are, are going to present as well and the kind of major challenges and the major hills you're trying to climb. And I just thought it would be a wonderful way to close it up for you to share a little bit about kind of what are the major technical hurdles that you think the industry is 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 chomping at the bit to tackle over the next five years. Yeah, I I might cheat just a little bit and not go fully technical here. Sure, um, yeah, but no, I, I think, you know... Uh, when when we're coming and talking to to these sort of different studios and platforms, we are bringing in these unique new tools between Toxmod and Voiceware and some of the other technology we, that we've developed. But none of these things is the answer. There's right. no such thing as the answer to toxicity. It's about designing a community to actually reflect the values that you want it to reflect and building an ecosystem where people are going to have that reinforced, people are going to understand what's 
expected of them, and they're going to be able to sort of coexist in a good way. And I think the the huge open question for the industry is we're starting to figure out, um, you know, there have been some good tools for text for a while. We're now starting to build some of these similar tools for voice. We're starting to do a little bit more research into where toxicity comes from, though there's still so much more to explore there. Right. But what we now have to do is we have to figure out how do these things work together? Okay. It can't just be you do text filters and then you also do voice moderation. And then also sometimes you get player reports. There has to be a very cohesive way that this all sort of feeds into the same fundamental understanding of what actually does good look like in this ecosystem. And I think beyond even just sort of setting that single standard, the really important question is how do we create flexibility on, uh, in that within an individual platform. So if you and I, Ben, get together a bunch of our friends and we have a particular way that we want to sort of interact with each other and a particular vocabulary that we want to be able to use and we're doing it within our own individual server of the game, then who really cares as long as we and our friends are all having a good time? And so being able to find a balance about allowing those things for the most part, allowing players enough flexibility, but also being able to draw clear lines about the sort of thing that's absolutely not okay. You know, right. I don't I don't care if it's in a private server, you're still not allowed to you know, try to groom children. That's, That's right. just not ever okay. Um, it's pro- in fact, it's pro- in some sense worse if it's in a private server, right? So you're, there definitely have to be a way to express, you know, what are the absolute not okay rules? What are the ways to sort of build flexibility? And then the third and final part is how do you put those all together into this sort of burgeoning metaverse space? Right. Okay. When you have tens of thousands of people in the same server experiencing the same concert or something like that, how do you allow those people to interface? You can't just turn on spatial audio. There's 10,000 people around you. You can't hear them all. How do you decide who to hear? Can you prioritize that based on the sorts of people who behave in ways that you tend to enjoy engaging with? Or is that just going to exacerbate our bubbles or our biases? How do we prioritize sort of guiding people to find new communities in these online spaces where discovery becomes a physical geographic thing where we have to literally walk to that new area? You know, there's there's so many questions about designing those communities. So that's, that's the space that I'm excited about culturally and behaviorally sensitive positional audio <laughs> <laughs> exactly or yeah. or i mean like there's there's simple versions of that right like maybe you just say if you're under the age of 15, 16 15 whatever you want to call it maybe you're only able to hear people who are similarly under that age for yeah. a period of time unless you get express parental permission or something like that yeah. that could be a, a simple sort of blunt force way of doing something like that. But yeah, I mean, if there's, if there's 10,000 people in a community, um, I don't necessarily want to not be able to engage with any of those people. But the reality is some of them, I'm going to have a better experience playing together with than others. We're yeah. all just going to have our own special preferences. And yeah. if there's a way for the game to provide me as an individual tools that I can choose to employ to do that, I think that can be really powerful. But if the game starts to try to make those decisions on my behalf, that immediately becomes very restrictive. And so finding that middle ground, I think, is going to be a really careful balance we're going to have to strike. I think that's a great point. Well, I want to live in that future. I'm ready. (laughs) 
Just do it I'm now. I'm excited too. I'm yeah. ready. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Let's make All it right. happen. Mike, this was awesome. Um, we touched everything I wanted to touch upon. Any Anything you thought we were going to cover or explore that we didn't get a chance to go over? I, I think we hit a, a lot of great topics. I think maybe the only sort of piece that I would call out is you you mentioned sort of these open questions, especially around sort of deep fakes and um, what we in the industry call synthetic media, maybe mm-hmm. a slightly more neutral term for that underlying technology. Um, what One thing that Modulate's done is we've worked with a few other companies, including um, a, a text-to-speech company called VocalID, mm-hmm. um, to create a coalition in the industry of tech developers building synthetic media tools. Okay. Um, this coalition we call Ithos, A-I-T-H-O-S. Um, and right now, it's it's still sort of a burgeoning community, but we're hoping to use this as a good sort of nexus for having these conversations right. where we feel like there's genuine value we can bring in as the sort of experts around the technology about what what fears make sense what are the capabilities of this technology people might not be aware of what are the ways that you can and can't sort of limit the capabilities of this in an actually effective way but obviously we're not the only ones who have concerns or who have thoughts about sort of what misuse could be problematic and so we want to make sure that we're able to sort of provide this ground for the industry to have meaningful conversations right. with people that might not have the same technical background, but still obviously deserve to have their voices heard and to be contributing to the design of this sort of new, new technology that's going to be so world-changing. So yeah. um, again, it's it's still pretty a young, pretty much a young burgeoning sort of community there. But I would encourage anyone interested in these questions, other than reaching out to to myself, certainly, um, to take a look at that Ithos community directly um, and, you know, see if there's ways for you to be getting involved there as well. That's great. Yeah. And that's perfect. A perfect uh, uh, closing point. A-I-T-H-O-S. That's right. The awesome. The website is ithos.tech, actually. Awesome. All right. Well, Mike, a pleasure. As always, I wish you and the Modulate team all the best. Uh, the tech's a ton of fun. Um, the space is incredibly important. It's 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 important work. You and Spirit and Bleep and all the others in this space. It's really important work you guys are doing. So so keep it up. There's a lot of developers out there that I know that you're already talking to. A lot more, I'm sure you're going to be talking to. But I think uh, I think this is a, a great example of a place where AI really is huge potential to kind of make the world a better place in the in in the short term. So kudos to you and your team for that. The balance of AI and humans, I would That's even right. say. Ne- yeah. Neither can do it alone, but I, right. I think we really are placed to do some uh, really incredibly powerful things as the technology gets out there. So thank you again for having me, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. All right. Talk to you soon. And that's a wrap for yet another episode of the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. Thank you, Mike, for joining me today. Um, I had a lot of fun. Hopefully you out there listening or, or, or viewing this uh, enjoyed it. Um, if you have any thoughts at all about uh, toxicity, about the use of AI, the privacy concerns, um, the ethical concerns, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your thoughts um, on where you think the opportunities are, but also sort of where you think the pitfalls are and the kinds of uh, places we need to be careful. And of course, as always, if you have any thoughts about future guests or subjects that you'd like to you know, hear us explore or people that you think we should talk to, I'd love to hear your thoughts there as well. You know, just reach out uh, 
Mattis at Rovio.com. Not hard to find, not hard to get in touch with. Um, thank you as always. Have a great night. Talk to you soon.